What is up guys? Randy here with Quick Tips for Dads. Sorry it's been a minute. I've been busy with finals and tests and vacations and family uh, weddings. My little brother got married. But today I am super, super excited to bring you my interview with the one and only Grayson Butler. If you don't know who he is, he was a teacher for 23 years at um, in the church education system for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He taught for a number of those years at the University of Utah's Institute of Religion, where I took two classes from him and loved him. If you were to look up genuine kindness on Google, a picture of this man should show up. He's just a genuinely kind, good person. And today in our interview, we discuss how teaching, and specifically teaching religious information, made him a better father and a better husband. Please enjoy this interview with Grayson Butler. All right. Welcome, Brother Butler. Um, I guess your name is Grayson Butler, but I call you Brother Butler because I know you from being a teacher at the seminary, or excuse me, the Institute of Religion at the University of Utah. Um, for those who are listening, my guest today is Grayson Butler. He's taught for 23 years at the University, uh, not the University of Utah. We'll get into where you taught as we continue with our chat here, um, all with the church education system for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He has four children and 12 grandchildren. We're going to chat about how teaching has taught, what teaching has taught him about being a dad and a husband. So thank you for being on. If you'd like to introduce yourself, Brother Butler. Oh, okay. Um, I appreciate you inviting me to be on. Well, you know my name. Um, <laughs> I was born in Canada, lived six years in New Zealand, immigrated to the USA. Um, when I first graduated from college, I graduated in accounting. I did that for 13 years, totally bored. I did not enjoy sitting at a desk in a cubicle with a computer and a 10 keypad. And so I changed careers and went into teaching. I originally wanted to be a teacher when I started college, but I had a counselor say, what do you want to teach for that? And you can't make a living or support a family being a teacher. And so he discouraged me and I went into business instead, but then I found my way back and went into teaching. That's, that's awesome. That actually parallels a little bit of my own story here. I graduated in accounting and after about three years of that said, this is, I've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> and so now I'm in law school because, you know, career change. And I have a feeling teaching maybe down the road for me as well. I would, I would love to be a teacher. I had a very similar um, counsel from somebody. Don't be a teacher. You won't make any money. Yeah. So I think that's unfortunate that people are, that they think that feel that way. I think teachers are extraordinarily important in our society. Um, just off the cuff a little, how do you feel about that? What do you think about teachers as, as a whole? Well, I think it's one of the most important things we can do. I think they're underpaid. Uh, they're not appreciated the way they ought to be. I felt appreciation, but uh, I know a lot of teachers who have not. Mm -hmm. So my very last day on the job as an accountant, when I turned the computer on, a thought for the day came up and it said, choose a good career and you'll never have to work a day in your life. And when I made the change, that's actually how I felt. Teaching was not work. It, it was uh, 
it was a pleasure to get up every morning and to go and be with, be with students and to teach. That's awesome. I love that. It's just so interesting when you find something that you start to feel a passion for. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in accounting school, you were my teacher there in college um, through some of my formative years. And I remember being in accounting class and I'm like thinking, I, I hate this. Why am I doing this? <laughs> and I've got news for anyone that's in college still. If you hate what you do in school, you'll probably hate what you do <laughs> as a career. Yeah. Um, so, but then, then I started getting into law school and I was never a reader. I was never big into you know reading. And I, all of a sudden I'm like, I love this. This is just fun for me. It's a puzzle. It's, it takes my accounting knowledge, which I liked some of it. Like it wasn't all bad, but it can, right. it parlays it into a different way to see things and, and no experience is wasted. I, I firmly believe that. And so once you start feeling that passion and really getting into it, it it's, it's a game changer. Yeah, it was for me. Absolutely. That's awesome. I know, so did you have to go to, when, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say when I uh, made the career change, we had two children that I raised one way and the last two raised a little bit different. Mm. I imagine teaching had something to do with that. It really did. I came home from work as a teacher, energized. I would come home from work as an accountant, exhausted. Yeah. And just wanted to chill and do nothing. And so I was as isolated with my family after work, after a day of accounting, as I was on the job. And so it made a big difference. That's interesting. That's actually really comforting for me to hear. Um, because I, I can empathize as well as just about anybody after working as an accountant for three years before making a change. So that's, that's really good to hear. I'm, I'm grateful to, <laughs> for your example there to get out of something that's not energizing for you. Um, so how did you get into teaching? You, you said you made a career change. Was there extra training that you needed to get? Was there anything you needed to do? Was it just, I'm going, jumping headlong? How did you get into it? Well, I was actually inspired by a cousin of mine from Canada that was trying to become a seminary teacher in the church education system. And uh, I just started thinking, hey, if he can do it, I can too. And so I went to the Institute at the University of Utah and I asked, what do I need to do to go into teaching in church education? And uh, there were a few courses that I had to take and they required that I graduate from the Institute. I already had my bachelor's, so I didn't need to do any further formative schooling, formal schooling. They accepted that. They gave me 10 years of experience on the workforce when I finally got hired. But uh, it was quite a process. It took me three years to make the actual change. I, uh, I was a part-time teacher and constantly under review. I can't tell you how many times I had people visit my class, supervisors, and observe my teaching. There were lots of evaluations taken, and not only about my qualifications or how I did in the classroom, but they took student evaluations to see, is this guy liked? Do you even care to listen to him? So... (laughs) 
Interesting. Yeah. And finally, I got uh, that great blessing of being picked up full time. And it, it was a joy. That's awesome. So it did you work as an accountant while you're doing the part time then the whole time? Yes. Luckily, I, I was working for the public transit system here in Salt Lake City. And I had two supervisors that were very understanding and cooperative. Uh, one year I taught early morning seminary and then went into work. The second year they allowed me to teach midday and break up my work schedule and teach and work in the morning as an accountant and then late in the afternoon, early evening. So they were very accommodating. It was great. That's awesome. That's cool when you have uh, su supervisors and bosses that are understanding and, and willing to work with you. That's that's a huge benefit. Yeah. Um, so I've got to tell you, part of the reason I loved seminary was or institute, excuse me, was because of you. Um, I took your oh, class wow. twice and it, it, the second time it wasn't because of the subject matter. It was because I loved you as a teacher. And I just want to compliment you. I, I always say to my wife, if there was somebody, or if you could look in the dictionary and find genuine kindness, there would be a picture of brother Butler in there. You just always made me feel so good in class. And I've wanted to tell you that for years. And I'm grateful for your example, because you didn't know it. I was going through some tough mental illness stuff at the time and just every day going to your class and we, you'd give us a hug or handshake and just say, love you brother after class. Like it meant a lot to me. So I just want you to know that. And I'm grateful for that. I appreciate that so much. That means a lot to me that you would say that. Yeah, it was, it was impactful for me. And so I really, I was really grateful to have you there as a teacher. Um, so you taught different ages, I would imagine, in uh, mm -hmm. different, you know, probably roughly 13 and 14 through 30, I, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Uh, what did teaching different ages teach you about parenting and about being a good father and a good husband? Well, I, I started out teaching the younger age group. That would have was ninth grade. And uh, those were very formative years. And I recognized that those young people, what they needed most was somebody to care. And I can remember one time in particular where some boys who were, whose bodies were changing and they were kind of smelly, the girls in the class came up to me and said, would you teach them about personal hygiene? <laughs> I thought to myself, since when is that my role to teach these boys personal hygiene? But uh, we navigated through that and the girls got along with the boys <laughs> and it went from there. I know a few years into my teaching early on, uh, my supervisor, we were having an in-service meeting one time and he asked, what is your philosophy of teaching? And he went around the entire room. I shared what my philosophy was. It wasn't original with me, but I adopted it and... Uh, firmly believe it. And that is, people don't care how much you know, until you know how much they care. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how I felt inside my soul. And that's how I taught my students. I did my very best. When I was going through the process trying to get into church education, 
my colleagues, my uh, supervisors, they said, you know, you're old. When you're in the classroom, people are gonna, students are gonna look at you and think, he's as old as my dad or my grandfather. I can't learn anything from him. And I even had uh, early graying with my hair, <laughs> which was inherited, not because, I, <laughs> not for any other reason. But one of my supervisors one time said, Butler, have you ever considered greasing hair formula? <laughs> have you ever considered dyeing your hair? And I said, no, why? Is that what it's going to take to get hired? And another supervisor said, don't listen to him. That's what he does. He covers <laughs> his hair. <laughs> so, um, but I was reminded that you really need to do all you can to connect with your students. So from the very first, I made sure that I went to all of their events, uh, tennis matches, wrestling matches, concert performances, plays, musical, uh, basketball games, football games. And uh, I was very grateful that I had a wife at that time that was very supportive of that because I was gone a lot. Mm -hmm. um, early in my life, when I was an accountant and my children were a little bit younger, they weren't enrolled in sports and they did very little. They learned sports basically without me. Oh, wow. And so I learned to be a better parent. You need to be totally engaged with your children. And what was fun by the end of, uh, or the middle of my career, I had one opportunity when I was teaching high school seminary where my son, was a senior that year. I wasn't his teacher, but uh, I taught a lot of his friends and his friends used to call me dad. And my son knew where I had my candy drawer in my office at school. And he would come over and raid that all the time with his buddies, but they knew that they were loved and yeah. they, they knew that I cared for them. That's awesome. That is so interesting. I, I think it's just so fascinating what you say about just loving first, like that should be our go-to. Yeah. Um, you know, in the, in the world, my wife and I talk about this a lot. There's a lot of contention right now, especially in like the political arena, legal arena. Um, the world is almost addicted to contention. And I tell my wife all the time, I was like, where do we need to start? We need to start with caring about the individual, no matter what their beliefs are. And um, there's been a few experiences with my own baby when he's been upset, trying to go to bed. He won't lay down. He's just screaming, doesn't want to go to bed that I'll finally just pick him up and just hold him tight and just say, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And he'll calm down. And when, mm -hmm. once he can feel that, like everything kind of can settle and can get sorted out. So I really love that, that advice that just, just starting with caring, starting with love is goes a long way. Yeah. As far as the different ages, uh, over the years, sometimes people would ask when I would be transferred to another school or from junior high, middle school to high school and then to college, they'd ask, well, what age group did you enjoy teaching the most? And truly my answer was whatever grade I was teaching, I enjoyed that the most. It had to be that way. 
I mean, if I was always longing to be with another age group, uh, work would have been a little bit miserable. Mm -hmm. And so I I enjoyed teaching whatever age. Um, I was grateful when I graduated, quote, from high school to institute and college. (laughs) That was fun. Um, And that was where I ended my career, retired from Mm -hmm. teaching institute. And uh, that age group, 18 to 30, was terrific. First of all, they wanted to be in in my class mm-hmm. or a religion class, as opposed to ninth grade and high school, moms and dads were making some of their students go. Mm-hmm. And so there was, there was sometimes a little bit of family dynamics that would come into play. I remember one time um, I called home for a high school student. He was a senior and he skipped class. And I never called home to get in trouble, get the student in trouble with his parents. I would always call, and this was before cell phones, and so it would be a landline, and I'd call the family phone, and and I would simply ask for the student. And most of the time, that's who I talked to. And I would simply say, hey, hey, I missed you today. Are you okay? What's happening? But this one young man, he wasn't home. And so his mom asked me, May I know the reason for your call? And I said, well, I just wanted to let him know that I missed him in seminary today. The next day he comes back and he said, guys, don't slough. He calls home. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that young man has, is a terrific friend. I'm still texting him every night. Oh, wow. Yeah, he became a friend. That's awesome. But I, I, I never when, go ahead. No, uh, I just I love when those relationships when they when they work out, when that love starts and you just care for them. Yeah. I, I remember one time with this particular student. He came late and uh we were in the middle of a lesson and he had a, a wonderful knack of uh creating chaos <laughs> and sending the spirit right out of the classroom. And I can remember going up to him, standing right by him, and I put my hand on his shoulder. Really what what I wanted to do was choke him. (laughs) But I just put my hand on his shoulder, and he he calmed down and became uh, a good part of the class discussion afterwards. And later on in his life, when he was living in another country, he wrote me a letter and he said, Brother Butler, you're the first teacher that never kicked me out of class. Oh, wow. And I reflected back on the time when I nearly choked him. <laughs> <laughs> and I just said a silent prayer to heaven. Thank you for helping me be patient on that particular day because it was crazy. Oh, that's so awesome. I had actually, a, I'm having a similar experience. I'm in the young men in our ward here at the, the priest age 18, 16 to 18. And we don't have many, but we have, we're all kind of combined all the 12 to 18 year olds. And we have this one young man that just, he he's a really talented pianist, but he plays at the most inopportune times. You know, we're, it's, I, I got there my first week in young men's and I thought, oh, this is going to be fun. And I got in and 
it felt like they had turned the asylum over to the inmates. It was just wild and loud. And he's over there playing the Mandalorian theme, playing classical music, playing you name it. He was playing it. And so I was like, I got to get through to this kid because the other leaders, they just see it differently than I did at the time. They were like, just shut up, like be quiet. (laughs) And I was like, I don't think that's going to work with these guys. And so I went over to this young man and I said, hey, Caden, um, I really like your piano playing. Can you learn Claire de Lune for me? That's my favorite song. And he's like, oh, I've never heard it. So I pulled it up on Spotify. He listened to it. He's like, that's really pretty. I like that. So every subsequent week I ask him about it and he still hasn't quite learned it. But then that kind of started the, hey, I don't think you're obnoxious. I think, you know, I, I see you as you are. And yeah. so a couple of weeks later, I'm like, hey, Caden, I think you could bless a lot of lives by playing piano for people. Like, I think you should really, you should think about playing for us, play a really nice song for us. And he's like, ah, no, no, no. And finally, it's been almost a year and he's hopefully going to play for us in our Wednesday night activity. And we've created a relationship that I say, hey, like I, you know, that's great that you love to do that. It's, it's a good thing. Let's just, let's, you know, rein it in a little. Let's put a little bit of a bridle in the horse's mouth and let's do it at the appropriate time. And so every time he goes and plays, instead of telling him, hey, be quiet, I say, hey, Caden, will you play an opening song for us? No, 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 I don't want to do that. (laughs) But it's created that relationship with him that I can say, hey, man, like you can bless a lot of lives with this talent. And I want to see you fulfill that potential. And it, it has really changed the dynamic of the whole group just trying to do that, just trying to give him a little bit of attention and saying, I see you like as you are. I don't mm-hmm. see you as this obnoxious little kid. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on, on that story. I didn't mean to steal your stories, oh, no. here, steal your time. No, I appreciated that story because that's exactly how I had felt um, on the high school level when I taught seminary. That's when I had students that were trying to show their individual selves that's when they would come in with bleached hair colored hair um ear rings for the guys and i just learned to accept that and not call attention negatively toward it i mean it didn't matter i mean if they i would give them a brotherly hug the same as i would anybody else mm-hmm. and i remember one time uh, my eldest son was talking to me after a church meeting and he was bemoaning the fact that some guys weren't conforming to how he felt they ought to look at that age of their life dignified and Mm -hmm. you know and i said hey son and it turned into a teaching moment i said the best thing we can do is love them as they are and don't criticize them and don't judge them that's not ours to do in the first place. So I like that. Yeah. So I've yeah, tried to yeah. carry what I experienced in the classroom, loving students for who they are back at home, loving my sons and my daughters for who they are. Yeah. I really like that. Um, Brene Brown, I don't know if you've heard of her. She She's a psychologist, writer, type person. I like a lot of her work. Some of it I, I don't necessarily agree with, but I like a lot of what she says. But one of the things she talks about is just 
your your child has worth because they're your child, not because of what they do. Right. And that seems to me like kind of where you're getting at is just because you're my child, I love you and you have worth. And then we can move on from there. Absolutely. That's so true. And sometimes uh, my students wanted to surprise their parents. I can remember one student that uh, was not going to graduate from seminary. And he made me covenant with him that I wouldn't let his, know, his parents know that he was doing makeup work. And the way we started uh, our friendship was he was interested in a book, a reading. And so I gave him a book uh, called The Alliance about having implants put in and control, mm-hmm. uh, controlling society. It was a science fiction. Mm-hmm. It was a really, really good book. I loaned him my own book. He loved that. And then he came back and said, okay, I'm going to ignore what my parents keep telling me to do. I'm going to surprise them and graduate from seminary. And so we did it all hush, hush. And he graduated. That's so and his, cool. His parents were blown away. <laughs> that's awesome. But that's what happens when you get to their level. When you, when yeah. you show them that you're interested, that you're human, that you're not just this mean guy that's never made a mistake in your life or, you know, that's never had temptations or whatever like they they understand that you're human yeah that's so awesome um so being a teacher we've talked about how it helps as a father um has it helped your marriage and as a husband has it taught you anything about being a better husband it has um one thing in church education uh, the the thing that would have gotten me fired quick was if i got divorced Mm -hmm. Because in church education, they feel that to stand in front of students uh, sharing gospel principles, you got to demonstrate that you're living them at home. Mm -hmm. And so my wife and I have been married 45 years. And uh, I know a lot of my students over the years would say, I'm not sure I ever want to get married. So many marriages of people I know in the family and outside of family, friends, And even in college, students would say, hey, they get married and three years later, they're divorced. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I want to even bother with all of that. And uh, so I I was able to say, hey, quit taking those as the examples. I've been married 45 years. My wife still likes me. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing. (laughs) Haven't worn her out just yet. huh? No, I haven't worn her out just yet. And... uh, so yes, teaching, my, my career change made me a better husband awesome. and a better father. Are there any characteristics specifically that you can think of that, that improved as you taught, you know, gospel principles, taught young people, whatever it may have been, that were able to be amplified because of teaching? Um, patience. That was one for sure. I can remember when we got our very first computer at home. I had a little daughter that was playing a game on it. And then it, uh, it quit, it broke down. And I wasn't very patient uh, in my reaction to all of that. And I interrogated her rather severely. What did you do? What did you, how did you cause this to happen? Mm. And she was terrified. And I don't do that anymore. No. <laughs> I don't. I, 
I've uh, developed enough patience that if something breaks, I don't chew anybody out for causing it to break. I just recognize that, hey, it's, it's part of life. Yeah. Things like that happen. So patience. I learned a lot of patience with some difficult students. I, I yeah. had to. One is the guy I shared with when I wanted to choke. <laughs> Tempted to strangle, but you yeah. resisted and, and learned resisted. how to be more patient. That's so yeah. cool. I love that. I, I really like that. Patience for me has been, I think my wife says I'm patient. I don't think I'm patient. So as long as my wife thinks I'm patient, like <laughs> that's a good her. thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing okay. Um, but like with that story with the computer, something I thought of, and and maybe you can elaborate is instead of saying like what did you do and focusing on the past, what I've tried to do is how can we fix it? How can we make uh, it work again? And I think yeah. that that even is the same when when your kids make a mistake or have to like repent or if you know you're if you're listening and not religious, if you have to make amends or whatever, you know, make mm-hmm. it right. Instead of focusing on the bad thing you've done, how can we fix it in the future? How can we not make this happen again? How can we make it right again? Yeah. And it's, and I think that changes your mindset from being upset to problem solving and being happier. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, that is so true. I think as a parent, too often uh, there's a lot of labeling, mislabeling that's going on. Um, I had a wonderful mom, but it did frustrate me when she would call me a naughty boy Mm. or my brother or my younger sister or any of my siblings when she would call us naughty. And uh, so in my fatherhood, I've tried not to label my children and I've tried not to label students. I've let them be who they are. And the fact that they are a child of God, that's the most important label of all. Yeah. And he, and he doesn't make junk. So (laughs) I like that for children of God, he doesn't make bad things. So no, no, that's a great, great label to have. I like that. Yeah. And really, to me, that's the only label Yeah, to uh, place upon a, a student, a child, a member of the family is that, hey, you're loved of God. You're, you are his son. You are his daughter. And I love you, too. So that's awesome. I really like that. I mean, I don't even know where to go from here. I just like that. That's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, we've we've been learning um, in our own marriage. We, we are let's see, my wife's sister and brother-in-law are doing a coaching business where they try and help people that are kind of, you know, down, not necessarily down on their luck, but just need somebody, an outside observer, I guess is a better way to say it, that can help them work through issues, work through things, kind of be life coach type people. And one of the things that they teach, and we were in their beta program, is instead of saying you are, or I am something, say, I'm feeling this, or I'm, 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 I'm having this experience right now. So instead of saying like, I'm angry, like that makes you feel like you're perpetually angry instead of I'm, I'm angry right now, or I'm, I'm having a hard time at this moment Yeah. Um, because then you can detach it from your being and, and having some of those positive labels could be beneficial. You know, I am a child of God. I am, you know, better than I was yesterday. 
I mm -hmm. am whatever. Um, so I, I really like that label thing. Don't, don't throw those negative labels. You know, maybe they're, you are frustrated at this moment and that's okay. Mm -hmm. You're having a yeah. hard time having some big emotions right now. That's yeah. what my wife says to our baby. You know, yeah. are you having some big emotions right now? And we help him work through it. He's only a year old, but yeah. Well, emotions. he's in good hands. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that. We're sure trying. Um, so do you have any, you've, you've shared some good memories from teaching, from your, your experience teaching. What are some of your favorite experiences, funny things that you've had happen? Um, just any of your favorite memories from your 23 years of teaching? Well, speaking of marriage, my wife is very, very good at decorating cakes. I can remember when I was teaching in a high school setting, I was teaching the principle of marriage. And uh, so I had my wife make a three-tier wedding cake as an object lesson. It was a real cake, totally. And it went very well through the entire workday. And then the final class period, <laughs> it turned into a cake fight. Oh no. <laughs> a couple of the students thought they would demonstrate how, you know, at a reception, oftentimes when the cake is cut, nice. it's smeared in the face. And so it turned into a cake fight. And yet it was, it was a blast. <laughs> I didn't get mad. The kids had a lot of fun. And uh, we walked away from that. <laughs> with a lot of good memories, but that was a funny memory. That's awesome. Those are so good. Any, any others that you, that stand out? Um, yeah. One that I was uh, terrified of, it was in a ninth grade setting and we were talking about lifelines and holding on to the iron rod principle of staying connected with God. Mm -hmm. And in my home community, I knew personally, I knew a firefighter. And so I borrowed his boots and his fire uniform and everything. And we talked about how when a firefighter goes into a fire, they often have a lifeline so that they can find their way out. And I can remember that uh, <laughs> one girl volunteered to put on the fireman gear and she put it all on and when she put her foot in the boot, apparently there was a, a wasp in there and she got stung. <laughs> oh, I was terrified that she might go into shock or something. Oh yeah, I, she's got an allergy or something. Yeah, but uh, it turned out okay, no problem. But I became aware that I had to be very, very careful when I used object lessons in trying to teach certain principles. Mm -hmm. But it had to be something that was totally safe. And <laughs> a wedding cake was safe. That's Putting awesome. your foot in a boot with a wasp was not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. It reminds me of a story. Um, did you ever know Mike McConkie by chance? He taught oh. at Bountiful High for a number of years at Viewmont High School. Uh, the name is familiar, but I never knew him personally. Okay. He, he was one of my uh, seminary teachers in high school and he was also our Bishop and he was in my, in my ward growing up. Um, and he told us a story, one of his first ever um, 
classes he's like i got he asked his kids he's like how do i start class how do i get their attention and and their kids like dad you got to start it out with a bang like you got to do something big so he goes to the physics teacher and gets a balloon filled with oxygen and hydrogen to you know demonstrate some principle i don't know (laughs) but whoever helped him filled the balloon to capacity it was more filled than it maybe should have been and so finally when the the bang part came it it exploded and it blew out the window of his door on his oh. and he kind of got into a little bit of trouble but he said those kids always listen to me after that <laughs> that is fun yeah so that's, fun that's, experiences yeah oh that's so awesome um, all right, let's, let's move right along. Next question here. You spent a lot of time with young adults, the 18 to 30 range. Um, I don't know you, how many years did you say you spent in the Institute? Uh, nine total. Nine total years. So you spent a number mm-hmm. of time. And then if I recall, you have served as bishops of young single adult wards at times or yes. in bishoprics. Um, it, what is some advice you would give to young people of that age group that are maybe getting married or starting their journey into fatherhood, what is some advice that you would give to them as they go, as they move forward into this journey of fatherhood, if you will? Well, the advice that I would give to them is first of all, if, it, if they're moving into marriage and be going to become a father, I would say, love your spouse 100%. And don't worry about 50, 50. Because then if you're considered about considering 50-50 into a marriage, then you begin to compare. Well, I'm giving 75 and she's only giving 25. Give 100% to the spouse and always be concerned with, with her welfare or his welfare. Um, don't be trying to determine how much you ought to give in this marriage, give it all. And as far as becoming a a parent for the benefit of the children, always demonstrate that you love your spouse. I like that. Um, My dad did a pretty good job of that growing up. I think he was a good example. He always, he'd always go and, you know, grab my mom and hug her or whatever. And she'd be like, Oh, stop it. Like you're embarrassing me, (laughs) but he didn't care. He always little things that he would always do. Like, um, you know, those drumstick ice cream cones. Mm -hmm. He knows my mom loved that little last little part that has the chocolate inside of it. So I don't know that he's eaten the last part in the last 30 five whatever years they've been married he always gives it to my mom almost without fail and just those little things they make a difference man well i'm excited that you had a dad that did that i did not have a dad that did Mm. that there were more than once more than one time i said to dad uh, what i want most from you is for you to love our mom Mm. so i firmly believe that that's the way the kids will grow up uh, normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If there well, is such a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, they'll grow up understanding how to respect a woman, how to Absolutely. be good men, 
Um, you know, I, I think a lot of our, our cultural issues that are happening are just because fathers aren't stepping up to be fathers. I don't know if you've got opinions on that, or maybe that's another time <laughs> if it gets too political, oh. but I'd love to hear your, your opinion on that. No, that's very true. I believe that. I think that's uh, why we see the symptoms we do in the society we have today. Mm -hmm. It's because fathers have not stepped up to be real men. They're not um, happy with their role in life. They're not happy in their own skin. Um, there's too much selfishness. So I firmly believe what you just said. Yeah. That the problems that we see today are symptom, symptoms mm -hmm. of fatherhood being less than it ought to be in the home. Yeah. I like that. I, I... I, I remember hearing a, a talk by, I think it was Elder Christofferson, um, D. Todd Christofferson. He uh, said, let us be men like he is. And he referred to the Savior, Jesus Christ, as the ultimate pinnacle of how we want to be. Um, and part of that is, you know, we talked about the contention. He said, don't, don't have contention. That's not of me. You know, love, love your neighbor, love your enemy even. Mm -hmm. Um and I just think that's such a powerful thing to think about is, yeah, it's easy to love your kids. Most of the time, I imagine <laughs> that's true. Middle of the night, it can be hard when he's screaming or when they're teenagers, I'm sure there's, there's times. Um, but it's easy to love your family and even love yourself at times. It, it can be hard, but like loving your enemies is a whole different ball game. Mm -hmm. Um, and just that love is, is so important as a, as a father and as a husband. Um, so I really appreciate you bringing that kind of stuff up. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Any, any advice for uh, dads becoming grandpas as you've got 12 grandkids? Yeah. Um, my favorite thought about grandchildren is something that Gordon B. Hinckley shared. If I would have known how much fun grandchildren were, I would have had them first. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really resonate with that. Uh, grandchildren are, are a lot of fun. Um, sometimes that next generation, with the world that we have today, there's more problems going on. And, and so every once in a while, I'll even remind my wife, hey, don't stress too hard. I remember students just like this. <laughs> They'll get through it. Just be patient yeah. and uh, love them for who they are. Just plain love them. Yeah. Don't judge them. Don't uh, criticize. Don't call them out. Just let them know that they have a place in your heart. That's cool. Yeah. Go going back to my... Uh... The young man that I was talking about, the piano player, it just, as soon as I saw him, I was like, I was this kid growing up. I was this obnoxious little guy. My buddies were these obnoxious little guys. And it, it gave me a lot more compassion for these young men because I, I know I drove leaders nuts when I was 14, 15 years old. I, I know that I was that obnoxious kid. And so when we, when we think about our kids being just little miniature versions of us or our grandkids, you know, just, I wish somebody would have loved me that way, you know, would have been 
hey, I love you, even though you're annoying. I still yeah. love you. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's so great. Uh, I my parents, our baby's the first grandkid on my on my side, and he is just the light of my grandparents' life. It's hilarious how much they love him. It's so cute. It's so sweet. Um, and he's number eight or nine on my wife's side. So he's, when we're over at grandma, grandpa Walker's, it is a madhouse. nine or so grandkids and three little baby boys, little three musketeers within six months of each other were born. Oh, wow. And it is just so much fun. He doesn't get it yet. He wants to be the center (laughs) of attention. Yeah. Um, which actually, this might be a good question. It's not scripted. So I apologize. It just came to me as this is something I want to know. I, I've thought about is moving from the first to the second, third, and fourth, however many children you have. Do you have any advice for that transition? Because I imagine, you know, that first child going from center of the universe to, oh, I have to share my toys now. I have to share a mom's attention now, dad's attention. I imagine that's a difficult transition. Um, and your experience with your kids and grandkids, do you have any advice to, to navigate that? Well, first of all, I, I was curious myself when we had our first. And then when we knew that we were going to have our second, um, I was curious, how can I, will I have enough love? And it was amazing that with the addition of each member of the family, there was just plain more love. I didn't have to break it down and give half my love to the first and half my love to the second and a third of my love to the third and all of that. It's amazing how how God just opens our hearts and we love them the same. Um, We have four children. We had a boy, then two girls, and then a boy. It's very interesting in the dynamics of our family that our third child, the second daughter, she claims she's a middle child. And so she uses the middle child syndrome to explain (laughs) (laughs) how she feels about things. And uh, we do all we can to remind her that when you've got four children, there's no middle child. But she uh, claims that she is. Um, Yeah, the transition, just be be ready to be surprised how your heart expands. Your capacity grows. Yeah, your capacity for love grows. It, It doesn't diminish. And as far as helping uh, little ones to uh, share their toys, uh, don't use force. Maybe get on the ground and play with them, but don't use force. And don't try to solve. I would say it's not good to try to solve all of the sibling rivalry as it happens. Uh, Just like you might remember when you were a child, little kids can get upset on the playground with each other but they forget quickly that they were mad and they make up as friends quickly. Uh, Siblings do that too. It doesn't happen quickly when the grownups get involved and try to force goodness. Mm -hmm. That's good. I like that. It seems like you're, uh, I'm trying to remember the words now. Like I've got it in my head. It's just, it's, 
you're, you're gently leading them along instead of right. by force. You're just like you, your example also can play into that. I imagine and how yeah. you respond when you're upset instead of flying yeah. off the handle, they, they watch you and say, Oh, dad was kind to mom when she got mad at him. So I should be uh -huh. kind to my little brother, little sister. Yeah. And, and getting back to the idea of labels, when one sibling refuses to share their toy with another, don't call them selfish. Mm. That's a label. Yeah, that's true. And don't tell them, you really need to learn how to share. Mm -hmm. You're just being a selfish little brat. Mm -hmm. Look at all the labels in there. Yeah. Selfish brat. <laughs> Yeah. And then as they get older, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that they think mm -hmm. that they have to act a certain way because this is the way they are. Yeah. So awesome. Well, we've got a couple more questions here. If you've got a few more minutes. Okay. Um, if you could go back in time and parent differently, I think we've alluded to a few of these. What is one thing you would change? Um. If I could go back in time, two things I would change. One would, I would have made the career change sooner <laughs> because I, I really was a different parent once I found a career that I enjoyed and had a passion for and felt energized. But without that change happening sooner, what I would have done differently is chill with my children and not feel that I had to chill alone. Mm. In other words, be less selfish, less, less self-concerned. Maybe that's mm. the word I should use. Okay. Less self-concerned and coming home from work, you know, not feeling like I needed decompression time and that my wife should keep the kids away from me for an hour or so, mm -hmm. but just to uh, immediately, relieve her she's been with them already long enough and uh, give them a little attention because usually if you give them a little they're satisfied yeah whereas if you give them none they're hounding you <laughs> that's true that's true i like that just just be less selfish just give them their time and yeah. I like that a lot. That's something that I've actually struggled with. I mean, I, I hope I'm doing better at it, but that, that little selfish natural man jumps in and he's like, Hey, you deserve time alone. Yeah. You deserve to sleep in. It's like, no, this life isn't about me. It's about yeah. me helping somebody and helping people do better, be better. Yeah. Um, so I like that. And then what's one piece of advice you'd give to your children or your grandchildren? You can split that up, answer the same. To my children like? and grandchildren. Um, well, the advice that I would give is honor your mom and dad by living a good life on your own. I mean, there we see a lot of things where that, commandment out of the 10 has been misused. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, in crime families, you honor the godfather by being a criminal. Uh, no, 
my philosophy is, and, and what I would teach my grandchildren and my children as well is, show honor first to your father in heaven by living a good life. And that in turn honors your mortal parents. I like that. I like that a lot. That's really good advice. And yeah, I, I heard a podcast or an interview of a comedian, Jim Gaffigan, you may have heard of him. And he was surprisingly down to earth as a dad. Um, and that was a very similar not not necessarily with God, but he just is like, you just want your kids to be good members of society. You want your kids to be Absolutely. good people. And I just thought it was powerful to me because I was like, this guy that's making millions of dollars telling jokes about who knows what, and he's he doesn't seem that serious, but even, even the world knows, like, we want to build productive members of society that honor their commitments, honor their covenants, whatever. Yeah. So I really like that. And then yeah. the last question, you get a look back at your life. Imagine you're 99 years old. I don't know how much longer that is. Maybe like 50 <laughs> more years, 60 more years. Um, you're at the end of your life. You get a look back and you get to think of your, all of the experiences you've had. What does being a successful husband and father look like to you? What it would look like to me is that my children, grandchildren, and by then, great-grandchildren are exactly what you described a moment ago. Good citizens in society, good, balanced, well-functioning people. Because I, I think in my heart, that's what says whether or not we have done any idea of a good job. I mean, the outcome of those that we've lived with, those that we've raised, those that we've rubbed shoulders with, been in the trenches with, if they've turned out to be good, law-abiding, productive souls, then I would be, I would be happy. That's great. That's great. I love that. Um, I, I love asking that question because everyone says it just to, they have their own flavors of it, but it's often comes back to that same theme of, I just hope my kids are good people mm -hmm. and that they can treat others. Well, they can be kind, they can be loving, they can be disciples of Christ, whatever it may be. It kind of all comes back yeah. to that. I want them to be good people. Yeah. I keep praying in my heart that there would be more goodness in the world, more common sense more civility, more kindness. Yeah. Yeah. That, that all starts with us as dads. Yep. It, it starts really with, does. Starts with, starts in the home. Governments can't legislate kindness. No. So, well, awesome. I really appreciate your time, brother Butler. It has been such an honor to be with you and, and talk with you about these things. Are there any last thoughts you'd like to give our audience before, before we sign off? Um, just love God and love others. In all reality, those are the two most important things we can do in life. Yep. To love God first and love others. Um, loving kindness goes so far a long way. And I want to say thank you, Randy, for spending this time with me and allowing me to 
to uh, chill with you a little bit again. <laughs> this has been fun. If we were in person, you would get a big brotherly hug, <laughs> just like before. Oh, well, that was always appreciated. So, and again, I just want to compliment you on your life. Um, you just, you have, you exude kindness. And so for what it's worth, that is appreciated. And I'm so grateful to, to call you a friend. So thank you. I can't, I count you a best friend. So I want you to know that. Thank you very much. Thank you for being on with us. I hope we get to chat again someday. I hope so too. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Quick Tips for Dads. That was Grayson Butler, and I hope that in that interview you felt that he was just a genuinely kind, genuinely good man. He's someone that I look to as an example and a mentor for for my own life. I think he's just a great, great person. If you liked that episode, please like, subscribe, and share it with anyone you feel may benefit from what we discussed today. And we will be back with you on a more regular basis come the new year. We're really excited for things we've got planned for you. Take it easy. We'll talk to you all later. Peace.